You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. If you will, please stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's word. When I'm done reading it, I want you to sit down in your seat and put on your seat belt. Here we go. Now Jephthah was, uh, now Jephthah the Gideon was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out, and they said to him, you shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, And worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. And after a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, come and be our leader, that we may fight against the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, This is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the Ammonites and be our head uh, over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us if we do not do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and leader over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mizpah. Now, if you'll go to the end of Judges 11, and I know I started so soon, I didn't even tell you where I was. I just assumed you knew. Uh, We're going to be in verse 29. Let's finish out uh, through verse 35 here. So uh, chapter 11, verse 29. Then the spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand, and he struck them from Aor to the neighborhood of Mineth, 20 cities as far as Abel-Kerman, with a great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me, for I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. Let's pray. Lord, this difficult story, this strange story, has much to teach us in our day. And God, I pray that you will help us to hear your word and to hear it well and to grow in grace, that we may be spirit-filled, that we may be used by you in this world to make a difference. God, speak to us, and I pray you will open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today I want to talk to you about how if you are spirit-filled, you will be stronger than your past. We all have a past. 
One of the things that I love about America, though, is that America has given, in my view, of course, I'm a little bit biased, okay, here, but I think America has given people a better opportunity than any other nation in the history of the world at really making the most of life and to climb that ladder and to go to that place uh, where your talents and your energies will take you. We see so many examples of this in American history. And by the way, before I say anything more about American history, uh, you do know that America's future is sort of dependent on this thing called democracy. Uh, I think there's a primary uh, election this Tuesday, so, you know, go vote, all right? Or else America will be history, all right? So participate, be a part of it. But anyway, when we look back to our history, we can go way back uh, to not quite the beginning, but in the early 1800s, there was this fellow from Tennessee by the name of Andrew Jackson. He was an orphan boy. He was raised in poverty. But because of his sheer grit and the ability to uh, fight duels and get shot and survive, um, he became a great general and an American president. Now, not all the things he did, I, in my view, would I agree with, but you cannot argue with the fact that this man came out of nowhere and was used in a mighty way in this world. I think of men like Dwight Eisenhower, if we want to come a little bit closer to present day, not quite, but you think about a man who was raised uh, by a hardworking mechanic with very little money, and yet... This young man grew up to be the Allied Supreme Commander in World War II and then went on to be the President of the United States. When we think about coming from nothing, America gives us many examples. And believe it or not, the Old Testament gives us a few examples as well. I would say Jephthah is one of those examples of an individual who came from nowhere and was used in a mighty way by God. Though his story has, uh, or ends anyway, with quite a bit of tragedy, we see in this man what can happen when we surrender our hearts to God and God begins to use us. I want to show you something in the Psalms. Psalm 16, 5 and 6. Notice this. It says this. The psalmist says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And notice this. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, that first verse, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. We can all say that. God has brought you into this world, and you have a purpose. Now, many of us would come to verse 6 and say, well, I don't know about that. It seems like many things in my life have not been easy. It doesn't seem like the lines have fallen in pleasant places. I've had to work hard to get to where I am today. I understand that. But if verse 5 is true, then let me tell you this. If you will follow the Lord with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, the lines are going to fall in pleasant places because you're going to be where the Lord wants you to be. And I am convinced that God is wanting to stir the people of God, that you are exactly where you are supposed to be. That if you're here today and you're a part of Ridgecrest or considering being a part of Ridgecrest, or maybe you're just part of the kingdom of God right now, I want you to know this. The lines have fallen in pleasant places. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He saved you and he's called you to do the work of the kingdom in this world. And I'm kind of tired of listening to the world telling us that we can't do much, that we need to stay in our seat, in our corner, in our place of obscurity. I am ready to see God's people to move with boldness into the world. 
remembering who we are, and not worrying about where we came from. If you are spirit-filled, you are stronger than your past. And so what I want to do is encourage you this morning and show you how, regardless of the circumstances up till now, God wants to do something very special in your life today. But we're going to have to look at some don'ts. We have to look at some don'ts today, four in particular, things we cannot allow the enemy to get at us with. We have to beware of how the enemy wants to push us down. And so today, as we begin, I want you to see that you can be spirit-filled, stronger than your past, but first, you must not. Don't fret humble beginnings. Now, what I want to do here in this first point is give you some of the story. Now, Again, when we come to Samson, people know that story pretty well. When we come to someone like Jephthah, you know it's like, yeah, I don't quite remember that from Sunday school. One of the reasons why you probably don't remember it from Sunday school is because he's a minor judge. He only reigned for about six years, and his story just is weird. (laughs) And I'll just tell you some of the things that we're going to talk about as we get into this sermon. I don't have definitive answers to why he did what he did and why All this is happening in the text. I don't have perfect answers, but I do believe it's pointing us to some very important truths that we can apply to our hearts. And the very first thing we see here is found in verse 1. I want you to notice the dynamic in verse 1. Verse 1 sets up the whole uh, whole, uh, career of Jephthah because you'll notice we have two different definitions of who this man is. It starts with God's definition, and that is that he was a mighty man warrior. Do you see that? And then we have the world's definition, but he was the son of a prostitute. You can see here a, uh, just a crazy difference in terms of who is this man? He is a mighty warrior. In the Hebrew, this is a phrase that would represent a mighty knight. If you can think of like a medieval knight, someone who has great prowess in war, a champion on the battlefield, a proven leader. That's who Jephthah was according to God's word. But those around him decided to call him by his parentage or to identify him. He was the son of a prostitute. Now, you talk about having to overcome circumstances. That's certainly what's going on here. But I want to ask you this question. Will we allow the world to define us? Or, we, or will we allow the creator to define us? You see, we all have that choice. The world wants to define you by uh, the color of your skin, the money in your bank account, the proportions of your face. That's how the world wants to do it. They find every way to identify you except for the way that God identifies you. He is your father. You are his son. You are his daughter. He loves you very much. And I believe there are many more mighty warriors in the church It's just that we've been listening to the world tell us what we can't do instead of listening to God tell us what we can. I want you to get away from what the voices in your head are saying. Somebody got to you a long time ago and put you in your place, but it's not the place God wants you. He wants you to be in his place. Now, I want you to know this, this word prostitute here, and I don't want to dwell on this too long, but this is an example of where Hebrew and English don't always cooperate. The literal translation here is strange woman. 
It could be a reference to the fact that, that all we have here is Jephthah is a son of another woman. So in this instance, many times families would have, a husband would have, or man would have many wives. And so this is not the favored wife. That's what it could mean. There's another possibility here that this, this mother of Jephthah was not a believer, that she was outside of Israel, that, that she was uh, not a part of, of the people of God. Well, no matter how you cut it, no matter what this word means, there is something going on here telling us that the world looked at him and saw a reason to reject him. And as I've been saying to you, let the world look at you long enough and they will find a reason to reject you too. That's the way it works in a graceless society, in a world that has very little grace. In America, we have, I think, a little bit more grace. We don't have uh, the lineages and all the, uh, you know, the royalty and all those things that's not been a part of our culture. And so we don't have that, but then we kind of do. And, and I'll tell you this, and I don't want to get into this, but I didn't really realize how that was really true until the college admissions game started playing at my house. And then all of a sudden you realize that privilege does factor in in America too. That money and power and influence uh, give some people an advantage and other people, they don't get that advantage. That's the way the world works. But it just seems to me that we have here a man who is blessed by God and has to discover that. If you'll notice in the text, we see that as he's driven out of his home by his own brothers, verse 3 tells us, that he goes out uh, to the land of Tob, which in Hebrew means good. So uh, even though he was driven out, he found a good place to go, and he hangs out with a bunch of worthless fellows. Now, I don't know about you with your kids, but, you know, if someone were to ask, who are your kids hanging out with? And you say, oh, just a bunch of worthless fellows. <laughs> Probably doesn't bode well. In fact, when I first read this, I had images of, of Jephthah going out and joining Hell's Angels or something like that, you know? And of course, they didn't, have, they didn't have Harleys. They had camels. So, you know, it would have been a strange thing. I don't know what the horsepower is on those things. But nonetheless, here we have a bunch of worthless fellows. But what does that mean? Here again, the Hebrew and the English don't help us. Let me see if I can help us. So basically, um, I don't think it means something overtly negative. Here's why I don't think it means something overtly negative, because David joined with worthless fellows in 1 Samuel 22 too. We are told that he joined with worthless fellows. Let me tell you what it means. I'm almost sure it means this. In the olden days, and, and you know, that's before you, okay? All of you. Um, in the olden days... Um, the, the way inheritances would go, the older son would get the lion's share, if not the entire inheritance. And if you had a larger family, the younger kids kind of had to go and make their own way. That's the way it was up until just really about 100, 200 years ago in most Western cultures and certainly in Eastern cultures. That's the way it was. And so these worthless fellows aren't worthless in the sense that they're out there causing trouble. It means they're landless. They don't have an inheritance. These are self-made men. They're either going to make it on their own or they're not. So Jephthah gathers up a bunch of people like him who weren't handed the silver spoon but had to go out and make something of their lives. And they must have made something good because they were in a land called good, Tob. And what the world had meant for evil... I believe God had meant for good. What the world considered worthless was a time for Jephthah, for him to train and become 
a leader, the leader that Israel needed. And you know how the story goes. I just read it to you. There in verse 7, when trouble comes, now all of a sudden, they're not so much worried about his parentage, but they do remember that he is a mighty warrior. When the Ammonites roll into town, all of a sudden, name-calling doesn't matter as much. We need the guy that knows how to use a sword. So they come to him and they say, Jephthah, will you be our man for the hour? Will you come and lead us? And he is suspicious. He says, well, you didn't want me before, and now you want me in this moment, so here's the deal. If the Lord gives them over to me, the Ammonites, I will be your leader, and these are my terms. Well, desperate men are willing to say yes to that. And those who had disrespected the man, now I give him respect. Now, I want to just pause parenthetically here and mention to you that up until this point in the text, the Lord is not mentioned at all. God's people are under attack from the Ammonites. They are in trouble again, which is kind of the, the stories we've been telling about Israel. But they're not crying out to God. Their first, their first idea is to find the best warrior among them. Now, this is important. Jephthah uses language of religion. He talks about God. And then they respond with, yes, if the Lord gives you. But there's no sense here in any real commitment to God. Now let me just say this. I've been sharing with you the last couple of weeks. When we're going through the book of Judges, we see a lot of parallels with modern American culture. We are uh, in most people's minds, we believe we're a Christian nation. At least Christians believe that. We believe we've been blessed by God. We, we have God language as a part of our culture. It just seems like most people don't have much use for God. We, we have the language, but we do not have the heart. And that's what we see with the leaders of Israel. But I am thankful that Jephthah was a man who was before the Lord. He was hardly worthless because he was, it seems, the only one in the land that was before the Lord. Look at verse 11. Now, I don't know that exactly what that means, but being before the Lord could be a reference to his, his devotion, to his prayer life. Let me say this. One can't do great work for the Lord if they are not talking to the Lord and I'm here to tell you, as we talk about 40 days of prayer, why do we want to have 40 days of prayer? Because we want God to do great things in our midst, and thus we need to ask him and beseech him, and we must do our best to humble our hearts before him. Success comes from the Lord. Our success is predicated on our prayer life. Our success is completely dependent uh, dependent on our dependency of the Lord. And we need to, as the people of God, remember this. But as we look at this text, we see a person whose beginnings are suspect, whose beginnings he could not fret. At the end of the day, he had to trust in who he was in the Lord, and so do you. The second thing I want to show you here is that we cannot let history hold us back. Now, those of you who are history buffs, um, you know this, and even if you're not a history buff, you know this. There have been a handful of disputes in the Holy Land the last three year, 3,000 years. Did you know that? Did you know that there have been people disagreeing over the Holy Land for a little while, right? That's kind of like the main history of even in the Bible, but we see that throughout world history. Now, when you come, and I wish I had more time, I always wish I had more time, in verses 12 through 28, come on Wednesday nights because when I preach I have more time. Some people lament that, some people like it, I don't know. But verses 12 through 28, we see the history. And the history is basically this. 
Jephthah comes and, and, and he's saying to the Ammonites, now listen, um, you know, I'm not liking this encroachment that you guys are having into our land. And the Ammonites say, well, it was actually our land first. So what we have here again, let's, 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 let's re- recapture this. We have the Ammonites, okay, and we have Jephthah, and they're talking. And basically, when Israel had come through to the promised land before, he had tried to get uh, an arrangement there with the Ammonites and the Moabites. And those nations had rejected Israel and told them to go away. And so God gave those nations to Israel And they defeated, Israel defeated the Ammonites. And so we see that in verse 23. So then the Lord, the God of Israel, dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. And are you to take possession of them? So basically, here's what Jephthah says. We're just summarizing very quickly here. Jephthah says this. It's not about the history. It's about what God wants. And God has spoken and said, this is our land. So as Jephthah is talking with these men, it's not just about politics, it's about the Lord. And this is where we say it's not just about history. When we come to uh, those disputes in the Holy Land, at some point we do have to ask the question, where's God in this? What is God's will? And I don't pretend to know the answer to that in the modern context, but in this context, there is no doubt that this is God's land and God's people have been called to populate the land and to use it as a blessing. And Jephthah is the one standing up for not history as much as the holiness of God. And he speaks this truth to to the Ammonites. He gives this king an opportunity to do the right thing. But as we see in the world, so many times, the kings of this world don't want to hear about God or from God. But the king of the Ammonites, verse 28, did not listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. And so war came. At the end of the day, I want to ask you this question. Do you believe that God has spoken? Because if God has spoken, then your history nor my history matter all that much. What matters is what God has spoken. Jephthah here does not argue the historical realities, though he mentions them. If you look at the text, it's a really good summary of what you're reading about in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. It's a really good summary of the wilderness experience. But when you come right down to it, Jephthah says, at the end of the day, the Lord has spoken, and you need to listen to this. The world doesn't want to hear that message, but that is our message. And let me say to you, As we have this message from God, not just the gospel message of salvation, but the ethics that this book teaches us, there are many times that the world is going to see us as the outlier, as the oddity, as even being immoral. This week I read an article where it was talking about a certain uh, chain of uh, food chain that has chicken straight from heaven, and you can probably figure it out from there. And they were talking about the immoral, immoral stances the company has taken in the past. Now let that settle for a minute. Because if you know the story, their stances have been, for the most part, biblical, Christian. But the world looks at their stance and, and dares call them immoral. Now, when I read that, I didn't get too upset because you know what? The Romans, when they first interacted with Christians, they called us atheists. They said we were immoral because we didn't hold to the laws of the Roman land. Nothing's changed. 
If you stand for God, you will come in conflict with the world. Their worldview, their morals, their ethics are going to clash with ours. Don't be afraid of that. We must receive the word of the Lord. It's not about history. And it's not about who's in the majority. Let's remain in the minority if the minority is with Christ. That's what's important. So a couple things here. It's not about history. Only when we receive the Lord's will in the now can he begin to move us toward his perfect will. Not history, but God is speaking to us now. To focus on past history too much is to miss God's work today. Don't let history hold you back. I think in America, we can look back at a strong heritage of Christian faith in America. Amen? We can look back and we can see where our parents and grandparents uh, were able to be salt and light. And there are some who say that that is history, that we will no longer be able to be salt and light. I think that is not true. I think the history of the church moving forward can be greater than the past. I have been one of those people who tends to listen to the news and, and, and all the things that are going on and say, what's well, going bad, it's going wrong. Uh, what's, this world's a messed up place. That may be true. But somewhere, somehow, God's people are going to have to start believing that God is able to do all things again. We have to stop letting the world put us in a box when the cross has exploded that box. We have the power of the resurrection, brothers and sisters. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Now here in the text, we see this other don't. Don't make promises you can't keep. The first step toward victory is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see that in verse 29. This is important. 1129 is important because it tells us that what we have with Jephthah is not just a man being a good leader. We have a man who has the Spirit of God. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, etc., etc. The key to this, and the sermon, and quite frankly, this series, it's not about excellence among men. It's about men who are filled with the excellence of the Holy Spirit. Jephthah was. And so he is poised for victory against the Ammonites. He's about to go, and then he does this. He makes a vow. Verses 30 and 31. If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, and then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Even this morning as the deacons and I gathered, we were talking about this very odd text. And, and one uh, tradition has it that, that, that this precious daughter, when, when you know, Jephthah comes back and she comes out and she is cursed in the sense that she became a, kind of like a, a nun, like a monastic on the hills of Israel. And that it doesn't really mean that her life was sacrificed, but that she just um, could no longer be a part of a family. She, uh, Jephthah's line and lineage stopped right there. But that's not what the text seems to say to me. And I would think that would be possible. But what it says is, is that he made an offering. And that would be a burnt offering. That she would, her life would be sacrificed. Why does he do this? Why? I mean, some people think that he thought that, um, and I know this sounds kind of, this is sad too. But he, uh, in those days, like lambs were pets that, that were a part of the family. Like we have dogs. 
And some people think that his prized lamb maybe every day would trot out to see him. As soon as he got within 100 yards of the house, every single time the lamb would come out. So he was expecting for his prized lamb. And what he was doing here was offering his lamb. Everybody goes, okay, I like that a little better. Some people think that he knew quite well that a human being would come out, but that it would be a servant and that he was going to sacrifice a servant to the Lord. We don't really like that either. But what came out was his one and only daughter. In a story that up until this point we see God moving, now we see something that just doesn't make sense. What Rich was talking about earlier, about the, 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 just the, the hardness of this world, I, I think this passage shows it. But let me make a point here. It's not the only point to be made from this passage and this story, this episode from Jephthah's life, but I think it's an important one. If you have your copy of Scripture, I want you to go back to Leviticus chapter 5. How many times do we say, turn in your Bibles to Leviticus? But here we go. The law is important. In fact, I would say the law is of utmost importance here. Leviticus 5, 4. Or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good... Any sort of rash oath that people swear and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin." Now, there is a little bit of confusion. Leviticus 27, 29 could be read as an absolute that the daughter had to die. But I'm not a lawyer, nor is my father a lawyer. But if I take those three verses out of Leviticus, here's my thought. If Jephthah would have known the word of God and the law of God, his daughter didn't have to die. Now, let me just say this. Many of us, Because of our ignorance of the word, because we have chosen to waste our lives watching movies a hundred times, we we read books that are not edifying, we, we watch television, we do all kinds of things to distract. We do not know the word of God. And because of that, our children are dying. We are not passing on the word of the Lord as we ought to because we're giving them the good life. We think we're giving them everything that they need, but the word is life. And when I look at this passage, the tragedy is that a precious daughter had to die because a man and a culture didn't know the word. I think that that is something that ought to hit America square in the face. Why do we study the word? Why is it important to know these obscure Hebrew ideas and stories? Because they are life. Our children need life. They need the Spirit of God. This tragic episode, here are four things to consider. God's love for you is greater than your sins. I think the provision of Leviticus shows us that. Trust in the Spirit. Don't make promises you can't keep. And make sure God's Word is your ultimate guiding light. These are just some things to think about in this story. It's such a hard story. But when I began to look at this, I was like, "What? come on, he, he has to sacrifice his daughter? Surely there is a way. And this is one of those rare moments where 
there was a way. Like, like reading the word and studying the word, I found a way. Wow, what, what about this? There was nobody in his life. Jephthah was not able to know that there was a way out of this tragedy. And let me say again, without stretching this too far, the problem that we face as a culture, there is a way out. It is Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. There is a way out, and it's not on some platform of some politician, but it is in the Word of God. We have what we need, but do we know what we need? Finally, I would say, don't pick a fight you can't win. Jephthah's story actually ends with a victory, and it's a sad story because the Ephraimites, which should have been his kin, decide to pick a fight with him. So let me just give you, the, the, again, the edges of this. So Jephthah and the rest of Israel have been fighting the Ammonites, and, and they've worn themselves out. They were worn down. Ephraim comes up and sees an opportunity to take out Jephthah and become the leader of Israel. And so they threaten war against Jephthah. But what they forget is, is that Jephthah is a mighty warrior. And he is not weak. And he defeats the Ephraimites. In other words, the Ephraimites, they pick a fight. They can't win because Jephthah still is filled with the Spirit. I think it's important for us to realize that it is imperative that we see where the Spirit is at work and then we get to work with the Spirit. Don't fight against the Spirit. Join with where God is working. That's, I believe, the story of the Ephraimites. And you know that story, the shibboleth, where they, they can't say the word right? Um, it, there's an interesting thing here where they're trying to figure out who the good guys and the bad guys are, and they do it with language, with spoken language. And the only analogy I know to give to that is, is if, you've, uh, if you grew up in Kentucky, uh, you know it's Louisville. And if you didn't grow up in Kentucky, you call it Louisville, and they run you off. You see that? That's, it's little things like that in the scriptures that you see where uh, the stories are, are rich and brilliant and show us that they're anchored to history. There's an actual translation issue here and enunciation issue that we still see in those cultures in the, in, in the Near East. Very, very fascinating. But ultimately, ultimately, the question is this. Where is God at work? And are you ready to get with that work. If you insist on doing things in your own power, prepare for heartache. This story is a cautionary tale. Don't fret your humble beginnings, brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter where you came from. Don't let history hold you back. Don't think that just because a church has done something or this or that in the past that they can't do something different in the future. Don't make promises you can't keep. May your yes be yes and your no be no, as Jesus would tell us. And finally, don't pick a fight you can't win. Now, on this last one, it leads us perfectly into the invitation because I really feel like most people are picking a fight that they can't win when it comes to their sins and their salvation. There is no way that you can go to heaven and be with Jesus forever your own way. You have to surrender your sins before the cross. If you continue to do it your way, you are picking a fight against the God who loves you and saved you. And so I'm inviting you now to surrender to the Lord, be filled with the Spirit, and let his work take you 
to where he wants you to be. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.